Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So before I was uh, lead pastor here at Woodstock City, I was the college pastor and I read our college ministry called The Living Room, which meets on Wednesday nights. And most nights it goes till 1030, 11 o'clock. And so there's one particular Wednesday night, four or five years ago, I had to Uber to the church because my car was getting worked on. And so we, you know, which means I had to Uber home. So we get done with our Wednesday night service and I'm just so tired. I'm so excited to get home because, you know, I've just, I'm such a great pastor. I've poured out my heart to these college students. And so um, I had to call my Uber. So I, you know, got my app, got the Uber and uh, it's around 11, 11 o'clock at night. And Uber drivers are used to picking up people late um, at night from places, just not a church. And so... My Uber driver pulls in and they're immediately, immediately confused. And I get in the car and before I even close the door, I get a question. Um, is this a church? You know, I'm like, no, it's a Costco. It's like a free sample. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, yeah, yeah, it, it's a church. And she says, do you go here? And I was like, well, I, actually I work here. And before we leave the parking lot, she says, well, how in the world do you believe all this faith and Jesus stuff is real? And I was like, how do you cancel a ride? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. They just pay me, right? And she laughed. I laughed. And in the inside, I'm freaking out. Like, how do I answer that question? I've got 17 minutes at best to answer this incredibly huge question. I mean, what, what am I going to say to convince her? What, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And then... And then it hits me. And for the next few minutes in this Uber, I tell her about the story of the improbable conversion of one of the most influential followers of Jesus the world has ever seen. I tell her about the conversion of the apostle Paul. We, we talk a lot about the Apostle Paul, um, super, super influential Christian, you know, traveled around all the known world and planted churches around the Mediterranean Rim, took the gospel all over the place, wrote over half of the New Testament, right? Like you don't get much bigger than Paul. Like you've got like Jesus at the top, Paul, Andy Stanley, and the rest of us, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like he's up there, he's up there. And and, and, and what, how we know Paul, right, the way that you know him and the way that I know him is he was an incredible preacher and missionary and church planner. I mean, the, the guy was all over the place. He was the most productive Christian the world had ever seen. You know, he did more in one lifetime than we do in five. But what makes the Apostle Paul's story so incredible is that this isn't where his journey starts. What makes the Apostle Paul's story and his conversion so compelling Especially for those of you in the room that you're not followers of Jesus. In fact, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're watching and you, you've got your reasons why you don't believe in Jesus. The Apostle Paul had his reasons as well. And what makes his conversion so compelling is how anti-Christian. It's not even just that he didn't believe. It's how anti-Christian he used to be. When we're first introduced to Paul, it's in Acts chapter 7, but we're introduced to him as Saul. 
It's very common, based on your citizenship status, to have two names. Paul was not only a Jewish Pharisee belonging to the party of the Pharisees, but he was also a Roman citizen. So he had two names. Saul was his Jewish name, and Paul was his Roman name. And right before we meet Saul in Acts chapter 7, we're introduced to another Jesus follower in Acts chapter 7 named Stephen. Now, a little bit of context about Acts that puts this in its proper context. Acts is a, a, in our New Testament, it comes right after the Gospels, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you know, the Gospels document for us the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Acts is positioned right after the Gospels, and it tells us about the history and the explosion of the early church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Luke, the gospel writer who wrote the gospel, Luke, also wrote for us and documented for us the life of the early church in Acts. And in Acts chapter 7, we meet Stephen, who was given some, um, some, some leadership uh, in the early church. The, the, the apostles really liked Stephen, and so he had a thriving ministry, convincing people about who Jesus was. And a lot of the Jews that, that watched Jesus on the cross that were not interested in this Jesus movement um, would argue with Stephen, and they just could not stand up to Stephen's argumentation and all of his wisdom. And so they got so frustrated with Stephen, they brought false charges against Stephen and had him arrested and seized. And so in Acts chapter 7, Stephen stands trial, stands on trial before the Sanhedrin, which was just the governing body of first century Judaism. Any religious concerns, like they were the ones that had the final say. So he's before the Sanhedrin, and in Acts chapter 7, you ought to go read it, he gives this, this bold and impassioned speech and he wasn't so much defending himself as much as he was talking about Jesus as the Messiah. And he basically tells the Sanhedrin, hey, Jesus is exactly who he said he was, and you guys got the wrong one because he really was the son of God. And they get so frustrated, and they get so angry with Stephen, it turns violent quickly. And they drag him outside the city gates, and they begin stoning him to death. And Luke, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, tells us while that stoning is happening, meanwhile, the witnesses that came to watch laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, this up-and-coming Pharisee with a lot of promise. And Luke tells us in the next verse, and Saul approved of their killing him. So here in Acts chapter 7, we have the first ever follower of Jesus to be martyred for their faith, and we have Saul there giving approval of his death. And on that very day, Luke tells us in chapter eight, on that very day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea was like the greater neighborhood that Jerusalem was in, and Samaria was the region just north of Jerusalem, so they're all scattered um, and, and Luke goes on to tell us, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, door to door, neighborhood to neighborhood, apartment to apartment. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Paul was done with this movement. He was done with this talk, this nonsensical talk of a resurrected Messiah. Pharisees, they believed in his resurrection. They just did not believe that Jesus was the one that would 
fulfill it. And so for Saul, this became a personal mission to squash out this Jesus movement. As far as Saul was concerned, he was going to do whatever it took to make sure that this movement ended under his watch. And so there's some Jesus followers scattered all over Judea and Samaria, and they're preaching the gospel. And so then we jump into Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, while the spread of the gospel was happening, Saul wasn't done. Saul was, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. You can, you can hear the language, you can hear the emotion language, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then he went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And we, we know there's a probably relatively high population of Jesus followers in Damascus. And so Stephen wasn't enough. Saul wanted to terrorize the church and he'd use anything, intimidation, violence, prison, and even death. And I'll never forget I'll never forget the first time I learned Saul and Paul were the same people. It was a defining moment for me. I mean, it just flipped my world upside down in the best possible way. What happened to Saul? What in the world could account for such a radical transformation? Luke tells us in Acts chapter nine, verse three, as he neared Damascus, he's on his way to go get more of those Christians. On his way, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Confused, Saul asked, well, who are you, Lord? And this wasn't a Lord Jesus. He has no idea who he's talking to yet. He's just saying Lord out of respect because he knows whoever this is, he is certainly bigger and more powerful than him. And then the response, I am Jesus, whom, by the way, you are persecuting. Now get up, Jesus goes on. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. This has gotten serious for Paul. So they led him by hand to Damascus. And for three days, for three days, he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. And while Paul is on his way, it was about a three-day journey north of Jerusalem to Damascus. While he's on his way, Jesus shows up to another Jesus follower in Damascus. His name is Ananias. And he tells Ananias that Saul is going to be coming to Damascus. And Jesus wants Ananias to be the one to go meet Saul. And I love Ananias' response. It's so real. It's so human. And you just can't make this stuff up. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, look, I get what you're asking me to do, but I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And, and I don't know if you know this, Jesus. I don't know if lions got crossed between earth in heaven, not sure if maybe the Wi-Fi was down, um, but, but he's actually come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Jesus, you think, you think like my neighbor could do it? Like my brother, you don't, I, you don't want me. Because he'd heard the reports. Word of mouth was the first century internet. Like they, they knew, they knew. They'd heard about the Stephen, the stoning. They heard about all that Saul was doing. 
And so Saul's coming to town. It's bolt, you know, double lock the doors, dead, and you're just like, you're hiding in the basement. It's like Saul's coming. But the Lord said to Ananias, just go, go. Trust me, go. Because this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. Then Ananias, he went to the house where Saul was staying and he entered in. He sees that Saul can't see just as Jesus had told him. So placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you, just to be clear, that's exactly who appeared to you, just to confirm what by swirling around in your head, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is in fact truly the Son of God. And all those who heard him, rightfully so, were astonished. They asked some really, really good questions. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Yeah, he was. And, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yeah, that was his original intention. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and even baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah by proving that Jesus is in fact the sent one from God, by proving that Jesus truly is the risen Savior. Saul got his sight back, and he never saw the same again. So what happened? You've heard this story. You might even have an answer, but I want to nuance it. What happened to Saul, it was not just that he had an encounter with Jesus. It's more nuanced than that. It's much bigger than that. What happened to Saul that led to the transformation that we now know as the apostle Paul? It was not just an encounter with Jesus. More specifically, it was an encounter with Jesus resurrected that Saul made the realization that Jesus was in fact alive. And it was an encounter with a resurrected Savior that turned this Jewish mercenary into the greatest Christian missionary that the world had ever seen. That truly he was the one that the prophets had pointed to. This really was him. For Paul, the resurrection sealed it and settled it. I've got nothing else to argue against. Jesus really is alive. And this conversion, this conversion of the apostle, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, not only does it point to the historical reality of the resurrection, but it also shows us the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you, especially if you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a person of faith, you're curious, you've got some questions. Let me just tell you, you've got to do something with the conversion of Saul. Because history, history, secular history, the history channel, any history that you want will tell you, historians will tell you. There's a guy named Saul 
who persecuted the church, who wanted to destroy the church, who put followers of Jesus in prison and oversaw the first Christian that died for their faith. And then for some reason, that very same person became known as the Apostle Paul that took the gospel to all over the known world. And there's a big reason why the church is alive and well today. But what history can't tell you is what in the world happened in the middle. The only logical explanation for such a radical transformation is that Paul had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus. There was nothing else that was going to change his mind. It was not some argument with Peter. It was not some theology. It wasn't some kind of, you know, the New Testament didn't exist, so there wasn't even the Bible as we know it. The only thing that was going to convince him was Jesus resurrected. And this is gonna sound like I'm being funny, but I'm being dead serious. It would be easier for me to convince you that LeBron James is my little brother <laughs> than for any of us to have convinced Saul that Jesus really rose from the grave. Because if he really did, it would have changed everything. If he really did, it means the Pharisees got it wrong. If he really did, then Jesus really was the one that the prophets spoke about, and they really did crucify the Son of God. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, they did not like to be wrong, and they never thought they were, and they definitely didn't think they got it wrong with Jesus. So it would have taken nothing short of the miracle of the resurrection to change Paul's mind. I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to have like your conversion Paul story 10-minute pitch next time you get asked a really difficult question. And if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it's impossible for your life not to look different because if Jesus really rose from the grave, then it changes everything. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, Jesus' resurrection changes everything for you too. Because the resurrection is the central act. It all rises and falls on whether or not Jesus rose. And the story of Paul shows us that he, in fact, truly did. The resurrection is the ultimate reversal. Because death should have been the end. Because Jesus built this entire movement on himself. It should have been the end. But for Jesus, his death was only the beginning because from his death would, would come new life for anyone that put their faith in his name. And so powerful, the resurrection, so powerful. But the apostle Paul, these were the words that he put around it when he wrote one of his letters. He wrote multiple letters in the New Testament, most of them to churches, and one of them was 2 Corinthians just a, a, a letter to the church in Corinth that he wrote to his friends in one of the churches that he planted. In one of his letters that we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he, he writes this about the radical transformation that we experience because of Jesus. He says, therefore, because what is true about Jesus, if anyone is in Christ, if, if anyone is relationally connected to Jesus, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Like the transformation is so great. It's not just like an upgraded 2.0 version. No, 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 no. It's as stark of a contrast as something old to now a completely brand new creation. 
That because of the power of the resurrection, and Paul understood this more than anybody because of his old life, the old life that was defined by sin, the old life that was defined by a past, the old life that has a story that you're ashamed of, the old life that was without hope, now can be made new. Freed from the tyranny of sin to experience new life, to experience new hope, to experience new peace, to experience new purpose and a new perspective, all because Jesus didn't stay dead. The story of Saul is a story of an improbable conversion. And it reminds us of the resurrection being the ultimate reversal in the history of the world. And it's the only thing, it's the only thing, come on, it's the only thing that could account for such a radical transformation. The reality of and the power of the resurrection is what transforms Paul's life. And it is, I'm just telling you, it is the power of Jesus resurrected that can move us from a place of denial to faith. It is in the power of the resurrection of Jesus alone that that which is old can be made new. It is by the power of Jesus resurrected that death can then become life. So that's the story that I told my Uber driver. I just told her. I said, hey, I, I probably can't answer all the questions that you have, but I have faith because I'm just convinced that Jesus rose from the grave. And if Paul's mind can be changed, so can yours. And if Paul's faith can be rock solid because of the resurrection, so can yours. And if Paul can be made new, so can you. And if Paul can be forgiven, so can you. So today, <clears throat> why not you? For no other reason other than because of the thing that we celebrate every Easter that Paul had every reason to ignore, that Paul had every reason not to believe, but the thing he became utterly convinced of to the point that he gave his life for it, the resurrection of Jesus. It has the power to change everything. It has the power for all of us to make us new. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is why you should keep following Jesus. If you're a student in the room, middle, high school, college, the world's gonna tell you every reason to not follow Jesus, this is one reason you should continue to follow because Jesus didn't stay dead. And no matter what you hear, no matter, you know, our faith is not some flimsy house of cards. For every follower of Jesus in the room, our faith stands on the rock-solid reality of the resurrection of Jesus. You can be confident in that. 
and walk confidently in that. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you are not a person of faith, if you, like Saul, have got a number of reasons why you don't believe, this morning I'd like to start with the one reason why you should. You've got other questions? I get it. You got other questions about the Bible? I get it. Let's start with who is Jesus and what he did. He died and then he rose. And the invitation to believe is right there. The invitation to believe is before you this morning because there was this thing called sin that stood in the way between us and a relationship with our heavenly father. And Jesus came and he died on the cross for that sin, and then he rose, and when he rose, he conquered the power of sin and death so that whoever would put their faith in Jesus doesn't just experience eternal life after this life, but gets to experience life that he died to give us in the here and now because he rose. And so it is in that that you can believe. It is in that you can experience the new life that Jesus offers you. So right where you are, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I just give you an opportunity right where you are just to say this quick little prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It just, just allows you to verbalize what might be happening in your heart. And you can just repeat this prayer after me. We're gonna close our eyes. We're gonna bow our heads. And, and if that's you this morning, just repeat this prayer to yourself. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough to save me from my sin. I surrender my life to follow Jesus as best as I can. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Jesus in the new life that is available to us because of the empty tomb. May you encourage our faith this morning. May you remind us of the hope and the life that is available to us. And may you remind us of the great love that you demonstrated when you not only sent Jesus, but when you fulfilled your promise with the empty tomb. It's in the matchless name of our King Jesus that we pray. Amen.